0: This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shi'urim and Tzfarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Technology in in the from home is something we all grapple with. We believe there needs to be extreme policing of technologies, and we significantly limit our kids' access to anything that gives them complete connection to the outside world. We got rid of iPads in exchange for DVD players, None of the Game Boys have internet access, etc. However, many of our kids' friends either have different hashtrafas when it comes to technology, or even if they are on the same page, have not set up proper safeguards. How do we manage these situations that we are not in control of?
1: So, a few points. First of all, it's something that having community wide initiatives, I think we can explain to everybody. That there's so much content there that we don't want our children exposed to, and different people might have different um, ideas about which exactly. But the idea to let your child be exposed to everybody and anything that's there, it's horrible. So community-wide initiatives that every family have some level of filtering is very appropriate, and I think oh, you can get a very wide consensus of people. You can um, you you can also have, and, and again, you can tell your children, it's not, it's, it's it's very, it's delicate to tell a child not to go to someone's house. That's, I'm very reluctant to say something like that. It, it creates a lot of issues. But you can explain to your child why what you have at home is so vital and important, why you would not want him to be looking watching it. Even if he doesn't listen, all of us as children did things we shouldn't have done, and all of us did not do exactly what our parents told us to do. I, I believe I speak very everybody when I'm saying this. And, and But the difference was, when we grew up, we knew what was right and what was wrong. And we had this sense of values that this is something shouldn't be, and I did a dava asa. If, we, if we retain that sense, if we explain to our children what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what we would expect in other people's homes, even if the child gets um, sometimes carried away, he retains a sense of values, so I think that's the way to go to start telling a child you can't play unless it's very extreme and unless you really feel it's very pernicious, it's not a healthy thing to start making, you know, this is a good child this is a bad child, this is a a, a not kosher home, this is a kosher home I I, I would tell you, but but I would explain the child and make him a partner and explain why this is such a value why this is so important to us
0: Is there a difference between religious imperatives of being a bentairah and cultural and tribal aspects of identifying as yeshivish? Um, a little more specific. That <laughs> 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 we could <can>, uh, <laughs> not. So it seems everyone is aware that there is an imperative of being a bentairah. Bantira is many times referred to as people who are b'nei ha'yeshiva. And everyone aspires or should aspire to be a bantira. There are people who sometimes confuse Ben with Yeshivish. So, a few points. First of all, the general
1: culture of a group of people tends to emanate from their understandings, beliefs, mindset. So, for instance, if a Hasidish mindset is to be isolated from society, wearing a dress, that tends to isolate you from society falls into place. If the mindset is the way to preserve everything, is to freeze it exactly it was, those things fall into place. So many times the um, the sort of um, the trappings, the unimportant trappings are part of a certain expression. For instance, the hat, the jacket, um, that's yeshivish. it had to do with the sense of formality, and um, dignity. Does it have to be that way exactly? No, but this, this is an expression of a certain mindset. The type of color, the level of formality of clothing versus casual. So there is a value, but you have to learn to distinguish between what's the principle and what's not. Let's give an example. A person leaves yeshiva and he goes to work in a workplace. Does he have to retain the yeshivish address down to the pinched hat and everything with it? Is that the mitzvah? I don't think so. On the other hand, there was a message. The message was dignity, formality is important. It's part of a source adam that keeps you in place so that the person dress more on the formal side than on the casual side is an expression of the same values. And that's important. So when a person dresses like he's on a beach, he acts like he's on a beach. It's a mindset. I asked somebody once who was talking about wearing clothing, So I said, if somebody showed up to a funeral in beach attire, would that be appropriate And that I said, no. I said, why? Clothing doesn't make a difference. It's the people. But, but I said, you understand that clothing projects something. It gives a message of who I am, what am I, and where am I? If you went in to do a business deal with somebody uh, 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 and, and the person looks like he's on the beach, would you do the deal? You he would hesitate. He might be a billionaire. Plenty of billionaires are crazy. It's not a problem. So, but, but it projects a certain image, couldn't care less. And you don't want to deal with a person who couldn't care less. So what we can take away and re Uh, readjust it is I need to have a certain level of Nechbatus besides which there is a certain advantage that's how Shabbos in Chaim Berlin for instance is a literature yeshiva but they were long on Shabbos there's a certain sense of at certain times I re-identify with the yeshiva I came from with the chesidus I came from with the community I came from even though it's external but Yes, we do live with externalities and it helps a person sort of keep himself it sends a message to yourself, to your children, to, to your family this is the type of you are. expect from me what you expect somebody to come from yeshiva it's, sometimes even if your own conscience doesn't keep in place the sense of social
0: um, you know, belonging does, does keep you <coughs> In Kvaldus we always spoke a unique language most of us did not speak any language other than English how much of an emphasis should the schools and from society put on re-establishing the necessity of a speaking of a unique
1: language? So we're going from dressing <laughs> informally to speak Yiddish. That's an amazing, amazingly broad community. It's, uh, let me just share. Uh, you know, every Chazal can be looked on with different perspectives. So there's a famous Chazal <coughs> that Chayyusro got out of in the schus that Shinu Vusham the Shainam, the Shmoisam, there's two or three different Gersas, but basically those are the main girthons. They didn't change their names, the clothing, the language, and in Chassidish circles, it's, it, it's brought this Chazal to, to, to sort of emphasize how important it is to retain these things. In, the, in, the, in, the, in a very yeshivish world, Rabchaim Chaim was a Talmud er Birucham, a Star Talmud Reb er and he was the Mashkiach, the head of Beisat Talmud Yeshiva, which was a contagion of the mayor New York. And his take on this medish was you can have a Yid who speaks a Haymish Yiddish, wears a Strimel, and his name is Leibish. And he's stuck in Memtesh Sharetumah. Because it says, even though Kleissel was a Memtesh <laughs> Because the and the the they got out of balls. So his take was, "Well, take a look. You have a person that's dressed the part, speaks the part, and so on, and he's still the Memtashar It's A very interesting take on the same, same perspective, a different perspective on the same issue. It's a big effort to teach children a language and to invest in that when you're really not going to have it. world; they all speak Yiddish. And they have an insulated world. For us to teach Yiddish when it's a cumbersome language and the kids won't get it and we take away so much valuable time, help me to see it. I'd rather the truth that you learn Hebrew. Uh, you know, learning Hebrew is a big advantage when you're learning. And today, Hebrew has become, Ivrit has become, the, the language of, of Jews in other places. I've been in other countries. If it was the go-to language, I, I speak Yiddish fluently. I grew up with my parents were survivors. That was my first language, but except for chederish circles, it no longer is a circulation. In yeshivas, they attempt a little bit, but it's not real anymore. So I, I would have a hard time in our world to think that bringing Yiddish in and putting that effort in would, would, would be anything but a real waste. You, I remember kids teaching Chumish of Hebrew that they don't stand into Yiddish they don't the understand. So what's the point of it? That you know, they they teach them Yiddish. When I was growing up, some of the kids spoke Yiddish from home. They were, you know, survivors children. Some of the kids didn't speak Yiddish, but we were learning in Yiddish. And those poor kids, they were struggling with two languages they didn't understand and and getting no place. And it's hard for me to see the value of that. Learning that
0: family is a great way to ensure daily learning being part of a large international movement that connects us. It also gives us an overview of Torah Shabaopet, but the pace does not allow the majority of us to really retain a lot of information. Ideally, we will learn for a few hours a day, every day, and review, book, and review it, Or realistically, most of us only learn 30 minutes to one hour a day. Do the benefits of Dafyomi outweigh the downside, or should we be focusing on learning much less volume but reviewing
1: So people have to be brutally honest with themselves. <laughs> If a person will really learn an hour every day, no matter what, then learning less and reviewing it, they have all sorts of programs that do it, and that's amazing. Um, Many people, what keeps this kvias is the fact that there's a calendar, that there's a social group doing it, it's embarrassing to fall out, there's a siem, and if that's the only way you learn, that's by far better. They are beginning to have all sorts of kinyatera, I think it's called the the groups, one of my children is in a group like that in New York, and he's, he, he, he immensely enjoys it, he feels he really gets charged up by it. They, 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 they learn in a way where you chaz over a lot of times and you know it, <coughs> and they do it in a way that it becomes a social cohesion. So it's important we to be realistic, we're tired, we work hard days, we come home, it's comfortable at home, it's nice, or if you're learning in the morning, you're tired from a a long day, and waking up extra early when it's dark outside, it's difficult. If honestly the only way you'll do it is dafayomi, then do that. If you can find a a framework with other people doing something else, go for it. If a person has that type of stamina where, rain or shine, I don't care if it's it's empty or not, I'm there and I'm doing it, they're finding something that you really Gain knowledge is, is definitely better.
0: From podcasts are becoming a very, very popular, allegedly kosher outlet for the call. Being that there is no vetting process and there is no halachic board, hashkafic halachic authority guiding the show, is this a dangerous path to go down?
1: It's a reality. You know, there's no census on the podcasts, there's no census on anything. Aruv. Should have a certain, people should ask if they have a shayla. If somebody's doing the Shabura podcast and it sounds good, there's no why what I think is anything wrong. But if a person expresses halachas that sound unusual or sheetas nashkafas that sound quite unusual, ask somebody that you trust is this normal? Is, it, is, it, is, it, is there something off about it? Is it my sense? <coughs> You know, it's part of your responsibility if you like something and you feel it's mashpia and you have your own doubts about it to ask. I mean, we can't have, a, there's no, the vetting process, it, 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 censorship is gone. There's nothing, no one, you know, the, the, the volume of things, the people involved, and nobody, that's not, I don't think it's a way to go. But if you're honest and you find something that you find is being mashpia on you, Ask somebody if you think it's strange. Ask somebody that that uh, Rav, your love, your mentor, tell me, is this okay, or is this kind of over the top, or something wrong with it? That's that's what your personal obligation is to do. It's the same way, you know, when a person goes to a doctor, we we get a referral from a doctor we trust. So I know so and so a doctor. He's been my doctor so long, I trust his judgment. I trust his honesty. And if there's some new expert offering something new, I'll ask him and say, tell me. They say that he's, that he's really amazing and he is very good. Is it genuine? Is there more to it than I, than, than I know? If a person does that with medicine, for if, if example, If a person has a strange sense about something, find out, ask.
0: <coughs> if our future is in Eretz Yisrael, should there be a much stronger emphasis on moving to Eretz Yisrael? The main reason the writer claims for not moving to is an abil- is the ab- inability to find a religious community similar to the American yeshiva community that we are used to. If enough Anglo families move that should solve the problem and then it should become a circular argument. We can't move because there's no community and there's no community because there's not enough people to move. <coughs> I was
1: Zohot to Eretz for 25 years and it was the best years of my life um, and I for many of us, and so it's tremendous. The question is, when a person has to make a practical move, one needs to look at the halakhic reality, meaning what, what chances am I taking with myself and my children, and what exactly is the imperative to move? There are groups, there are people, who strongly believe in the mitzvah of Yitzchel as being extremely important, as and it's a sort of, a, 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 it's sort of a very, very, very strong pillar. they definitely, um, you know, they need to make whatever effort they can. I was not brought up with that mis- and our messiahress at is very holy, very important, but it's not the most important part of Yiddishkeit. And therefore, finding out children at a certain age have a very difficult time making transition. Parnasseh is not always easy. It's not easy anywhere. But for an American coming to a place that's new, not having Parnasseh is not only a question of money. Everything wobbles, but you don't have Parnasseh. Having a community where you feel you belong, having a society, these are real issues. We're not, we're not talking about Gashmas. I'm not talking about Life is, is simple than natural. That's a mile. That's an advantage of Yisrael. But the, for us, the first ruchnius question is our children's growing up. So if a person does not yet have children, that's one issue. children are grown up, so that's out of the question. The, but if a person has children in middle ages, it's difficult. It's very difficult. And they need, you need to be sure um, that you're not because nothing is as important to us as the chin of our children. And an unhappy child, a child whose identity is kind of um, problematic. And I've, I've lived there, I know. It, so I came there as a, you know, a, a 70 year old and I grew into it. But people who came with children at wrong ages, it's very difficult. Some make it and some don't. But statistics are tough, and a person needs to be honest with himself. One, um, how will my children be infected? Two, will I have a ruch nis- If I don't have a ruch nishti kill, I belong to. So it's true that we will, if there were enough people, I'm also skeptic about that, for, for different reasons. But, but, but as far as I'm concerned, I need to ask myself, what compels me? So there are people, and again, these are, these, these are people who have their ashitas and there, I'm, not, I'm not coming from there, it's not my sheep's ashcraft. Knife but if a person feels um, the way some people feel about cold learning, some people feel about at Israel, then yes, it's a very different picture. Then you build your life around it. When I go to look for a career, I ask myself what, what, job, what career I should have that will go well at Israel. I learn Hebrew really well, I, 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 I read up on, on, and I'm part of it, it, uh, Israeli world. And, and I plan my life to do that. So just like somebody who, who believes that kolo is the single thing that leads your folks' life, you build your life around it. So if I chose that, but if a person just picks up and goes, having an environment like, I've been in Detroit for three days, Baruch Hashem, we have kehillas that are vibrant in Ruchnias with wonderful Rabbanim and that Amor derach. will you have it over there? So yes, somebody will come along and say, if you'll all go, I'll have it. But, but What's compelling you? What's driving you? And so, again, if a person is because there's nothing more important living living at Yisrael, that's the sheet and Then, then I'm not the address to address it. It's, it's not where I'm coming from. And, and, but just like if someone asks about Kolo and they're not coming from that world, so you, you look at different things. But a person, we're sitting and learning, is, is the core, is a different way of aligning the pieces. How much are you willing to sacrifice in terms of earning and so on? But it's not, it's not an easy thing to just pick up and go someplace else. It's, it's, it's psychologically an emotional journey, a long and hard journey. And you need to ask yourself what's the reason? I'm someday gonna have to give it in the Hajj. Do I feel confident that saying, in order for it to swallow, I was willing to possibly um, endanger many parts of my Rukhis? These are really tough questions. People need to find a mentor that both represents the ideals and values that they that that they have, and is realistic enough to tell the person, "Um, for you, this is appropriate. For this, is appropriate. This is appropriate." So, living in Eretz Yisrael is. It doesn't need me. The Gemara speaks about it. The Ramah speaks. It brings it down how wonderful it is, how extraordinary it is. But. Like everything else in Yiddishkeit, you can't have just the, the Chazal behind one place. You have to ask yourself. Learning Torah is wonderful, and there's no enter Chazal about it. And um, Reb Shem sat in the cave and ate, and ate haruvin. Will we? Are we willing to sit in the cave and eat haruvin? We all understand that there are the, the, the Reb Shem Yehoz, but is that us? You can't just take an emotionally moving um, drasha and implement it without going through all the boxes and check them off. It's a decision that is, it's, it, every, it will affect everything. And you need to talk to someone that is guiding you along the ideals that you subscribe to and is realistic and, and, can, and can take responsibility that the pieces reasonably by Hashem will fall into place. It's, it's, it's not, it should never be flippant, easy, or decided on emotion should be to sign it, thinking it really through well, with someone that can help make that decision. Is
0: it time for more? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There different rabbis, rosh Hashimahs, they have different personalities. The result of this is a different perspective and outlook on life, all within the framework of Taner Hashkoffa. However, when these individuals are tasked with teaching the next generation, how do we know what is being taught is Torah values, and not just an expression of the Rebbe's personality. For example, my Rosh Hashiba hated when we had our shirts untucked, so we got the impression that it's also to wear a shirt untucked. Is this accurate? How does one separate the personalities from the MS Ferris Another example could be an elementary school Rebbe who was an ama- who is amazing, but makes off color jokes pertaining to minorities. So you have to separate between things
1: that are Valid alternative, Torah shkafis, to things that are, um, to things that are, um, flaws. Nobody's perfect, and people can have shortcomings, and you can accept it as such. Obviously, it's a different measure when a person has certain shortcomings. There are other things that are different approaches. For instance, the first point you mentioned about seder structure life and so on some people this is very very important this is something which is in the way she was like tells where they check to see if it made you better every day kelm was known for having this type of of you know having uh, things like that the um, and and they saw it as part of hashkafa, Hashkaf Zachayim and there just like there <coughs> are many Shavate and each shavit brought out a different facet of cholesterol, different parts of different Rebbeim bring out different facets of Kal Yisrael so Chassidim, you'll see the exact opposite it's helta skelter. it's not organized but there's a certain life and warmth a yekish approach is very organized, very strict everything is Mesuda, there's a lot of focus on Seda less spontaneity, less warmth and It's the beauty of Chal we have different shvatim. they all enhance Chal they all bring out different parts, and a person has to choose where he belongs, what's best fit, where's his shaytism. There are other things that are not, they're not a particular part of Chal they're they're, uh, things that are shortcomings, and people have shortcomings. So certain areas we have to look on as being approaches, and certain areas we have to look upon as being shortcomings and and, and uh, go accordingly. But people need to pick a dergachayim that fits them. So for the person that Yekesha, organized, structured, formal, is is brings out the best of their um and sense of Yiddishkeit will not find their place in the for the person who is, loves warmth, and balance, and spontaneity, and informality, a yakish shul is going to be like a, like a prison sentence. You know, he, he, what do you mean sit in your place and don't raise your voice? Like, it's a shul. You know, I, I, I need to run back and forth. I need to yell. So it's finding the place that you belong is appropriate.
0: How does one balance bringing in another gem into Kali's versus needing to give adequate attention, emotional, physical support to one's already large family?
1: Like always, it's, 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 um, you know, there are certain halach considerations, if a person has a boy and a girl, and there are certain personal emotional, uh, for a shayla like this, it's a very important shayla, and if a person needs to ask a shayla, and finding a rough person who can help you get a sense of, most people when you struggle, it's because you have two conflicting values and helping somebody navigate it, it's very important. It's not, there's it, it nothing about a question like this that can be answered in a general way. It's very personal, people are different, challenges are different, counselors are different. And, and that's why it's so important to have a person that you feel understands you and his derech is the derech that you can that you want to follow? Uh,
0: the On the same note, about following a the derech, there are many people who don't have close relationship with your The idea that I brought with your hashkafah, with who you can develop a close relationship with and has, has availability to handle issues they need taken care of, is ideal, but not always so simple. Is there a technique that kol should be aware of? how
1: and where to connect to a rush. Should I offer a website? Some <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> the actors, we speaking about it. The, the problem of halachic hotlines is nobody there knows who you are. And that's why that the, the Shiloh will be passed in a way that no idea if it applies. It is extremely vital because there's so many issues that the way to go forward is with somebody who could help you figure it out. One of the things I suggest is, so obviously if a person lives close to a shul, where the rov is the type of person that he can relate to and so on, that's the best thing. But if not, if a person, let's say, goes to a shir once a week, buy a rov that he feels he can relate to, and get a kesha. When you come just with an issue or problem, the person doesn't know who you are and it's so hard to give advice of this type where you don't know who the person is so finding a person and and going to a shir tends to be uh, even if you don't live close by even if it means you have less time to learn but it allows to develop you understand the person he understands you, gets to know you when things are calm and when you need to ask some Shaila there's a sense of who you are and I cannot stress how vital this is. Um, people in yeshivas may have very close relationship with Rebbeim. They chose the yeshiva to go to, and then they have a Kesha. Y- you live wherever your job is, wherever the housing is affordable or whatever, and a lot of times you just don't have that. But going to a shi'a somewhere once a week to a person that you feel you can develop because like that is invaluable. It's, it's uh, Prepare your parking lot to be full.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This question was asked by a medical professional. He writes, I think I can give the best care if I saw one patient today and spent my whole day thinking about the issues that particular patient needs. This is not a sustainable business model. How does one balance the need to give great high quality care versus the need to have a sustainable business model? Is it okay that I know that I gave above-average care this week, but I know that I could have done even better by extending patient visits and, and seeing less patients? What is the bar that I should set for myself? The, there is a, a general expression
1: that is used, called it's olam. There is a general standard of what, how many patients a doctor sees, how much time he gives per patient, if this is the, the norm, then we say Hashem. we say this is normal, this is right there 's no other way to solve that problem, so if a doctor would only see the one patient a day, <coughs> many people would not get any care at all. so we, we reach a sort of happy medium where we feel we give very good care to as many people as we can see, and, and that 's the only way in which um, So, so you take a look around and see, what is the normal bar? You definitely, as a from Jew, we can go beyond a bit, we can spend um, a little more time, we can extend our time, connect ourselves personally to people we know, but at the end of the day, the job is to see as many people as possible, to give very good care. And, And because, or else what will happen is, with that line of thought, 100 people will get phenomenal care and 10,000 people get no care. So, so there has to be a balance. And the general what, what's considered generally good medical practice, what would be the bar to go with? Okay.
0: Thank you very much. The investors should continue to help us have the guidance that we need and the investors should continue to banish to the Rosh with she continued to be able to inspire the hundreds and hundreds of B'nai Taira, both through his words, his דבר Torah, as well as his books. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful
1: tzibur, and, and the questions are real questions, and, the, and you know the, it says that a is a The questions people ask express how how seriously people take life and it's really impressive to see all these questions or serious questions questions that really, really really struggling with life This is this is the tzibur and these are their their, their, their issues and, and what they've got